0: Welcome to Sparkplug, where we talk to smart people working at the intersection of business and technology, brought to you by Snowshoe, making mobile locations smarter. Sparkplug is happy to welcome Julie Ferguson, CEO of the Merchant Risk Council, and we look forward to talking about fraud prevention and online and offline scenarios, the future of retail, merchant risk in the COVID environment, and how she sees the economy coming back post-COVID. So welcome, Julie. It's
1: great to be here. Thank you, Ned. Yeah. Hi, Julie. Welcome to Spark Club. Um, I'd like to start off by hearing a little bit about your history. What path brought you to the head of Merchant Risk Council? I started my career early on at
2: IBM and uh, back in the 90s. And I saw the evolution of the Internet. And so I started an e-commerce payment company, The first day we went live with online payments in uh, 1995, the very next day, we saw the first fraudulent transaction. Um, Within two years of that, uh, it was clear that the industry needed to get together and collaborate because all of the fraudsters were. And so a group of us formed um, what is known today as the Merchant Risk Council um, and uh, started sharing best practices and tax tactics on how to fight fraud and, and uh, what the fraudsters were up to. And the organization has grown over the past 20 years. And about nine months ago, um, the MRC was looking for a CEO and they actually asked me if I'd be interested and I tossed my hat in the ring and, and the
0: rest is history. Huh. Well, so, so what, um, what tactics existed back in the day when the Merchant Risk Council first started There weren't
2: any. Um, So e-commerce fraud rates were between one and a half and three percent of e-commerce sales volumes. Companies were just starting to go online. And so um, they would just put up a website. It it was in the days when everybody was just starting to put up websites and sell stuff. And, um, you know, most retailers had no experience in the fact that for Card Not Present, fraud, you would be liable. And so it all of a sudden there were there were reports in some of the bigger retailers, 10K filings saying we had this massive fraud loss. And so it was clear that there was a huge problem. And and, and that's really, the, the fraudsters had lots of tactics, but the merchants really didn't have any ways to prevent it.
1: Um, yeah. So the Merchant Risk Council has a story history. Um, could you tell us more about the mission of the team today? Right. So really,
2: it's very simple and it hasn't wavered from the early days. It is to reduce fraud, to increase acceptance and create the best possible customer experience when somebody is checking out.
1: So I understand that MRC started as a group of volunteers with uh, day jobs and, and their life. <laughs> now, um, now as a full team, um, full time team, tell us about the work you do today. Um, so today we've got a lot of different initiatives going
2: on. So we have um, a bunch of programs um, is how we refer to it for our members. We have the mentor program where somebody can either sign up to be a mentor or a mentee. Um, and that can be just education around the fraud industry or the payments industry, or it can be a career growth. Um, we have a, a online resource center that's just absolutely full of presentations white papers and case studies from the past six years so if you want to know about any specific thing you can go in there and say hey tell me about account takeover for example and you can see all the content related to account takeover and including webinars so it's a quick way to become a subject matter expert we have community calls um, on specific topics so there's uh, one on fraud prevention one on payments there's one um but with law enforcement agencies. We have several law enforcement agencies as members as well. Um, and they meet on a regular basis and, and they have an agenda and we talk about like the latest trends and what's going on on those different topics. Um, we also have a webinar Wednesday. So every Wednesday we have two webinars that we offer to um, the industry um, at no cost on all kinds of different topics, whatever's hot and cool or new tech, emerging technologies, problems, research. Um, we also do annual surveys, um, so we have the MRC uh, fraud, prevent- fraud survey that comes out every other year, and we partner with Cybersource on that, and we also have a payments uh, survey that comes out every other year that we also partner with Cybersource on. Um, we also have uh, vendor reports. Um, at one of our other partners is uh, Paladin, and you can get a list and a description of all the different vendors in our industry. Um, so there's, there's obviously a lot going on. I'm just kind of scratching the surface there, but we've, we've got um, many programs for our members in addition to a lot of industry events.
1: So circling back, um, you, know, you just mentioned mentors and mentees. That sounds really great. Can you tell us more about um, what you've done to, to nurture women as leaders?
2: Yeah, so we actually have a Women in Payments and Fraud Prevention group. That meets on a regular basis. Earlier this year, we hosted our first full-day summit um, for women in payments and fraud, and men are always welcome to attend as well. Um, But it's really um, to educate folks on not just the industry, but also challenges that women face. So one of the topics that was really well-received is how to negotiate that next raise. Um, Another uh, topic is how to manage that work-life balance. You know, if you have Children and busy schedules, and you're trying to work at home, Um, and so lots of different kind of personal touch things that we work on as well.
0: So so I know you mentioned law enforcement as members of the MRC. You know, people people tell stories about the dark web and identities being stolen and and stored, you know, someplace in the dark web. I'm curious how involved does the MRC get with law enforcement in uh, helping to codify rules and. Eventually, laws that, that that help merchants to be safer.
2: Um, we really are just getting started this year in uh, into advocacy. This was really our first year, and and 2020 was, and we really focused more on PSD two because it actually went into law in January. In enforcement, right, of that law, mm-hmm. and uh, it. It wasn't really quite ready for prime time, so we worked with regulators to get dates shifted out and and educate the industry on some best practices and such. Um, There is a long list of things our members would like us to do. Um, And interestingly, law enforcement and uh, changing the laws around prosecution doesn't really rise to the top. Um, And I think a a part of the problem is even when you go after the criminal, there's always the fear that you're going to arrest grandma on accident instead of a real criminal. And so um, retailers tend to be a little bit shy around going after the criminal. That said, if somebody's organized and there's big cases, um, absolutely. Then um, we work with we partner with law enforcement to do operations and control deliveries to go after some of the larger uh, crimes.
1: Have there been any changes to the risk profile during COVID? What changes have happened in retail during COVID? So we actually refer to COVID or the pandemic as creating the
2: Christmas boom every day. So we call it the peak um, season, and that's usually, you know, right around Thanksgiving through the actual Christmas holiday um, and when the pandemic hit, all merchants saw peak happen on day one and it never wavered. It just kept going. And so what, what that means is when there's high volumes, merchants sometimes augment with staff, but really they just tune their fraud rules to say, okay, there's a lot more good customers making purchases. And so the things, the plans and the responses that merchants had over the Christmas holidays, they just figured out how do you scale that all year long? Really? Uh, yeah. And, and in fact, there's a, a phrase that's been floating around the industry called keep the peak. Right. So even after the pandemic starts to go away, how do we keep that peak? How do we keep those engaged shoppers that have gotten used to ordering online?
0: Right. So, so in terms of the economy changing and coming back post-COVID, it sounds like on retailers would li- online retailers would prefer that it kind of stays this way, that people keep shopping in the patterns that they have today.
2: Yeah, so retailers make a lot more money with online sales because you have no staff, no storefront. Um, so it, it is a, a, a higher profit um, to sell on the Internet.
0: The online retailers are profiting. Offline retailers, of course, have suffered. So do you see that offline re- retail can do anything to, to regain market share post-COVID?
2: Um I think people are anxious to get out and and so once they feel safe, um, I think we'll see some of the volume shift back. That said, I know a lot of people really have learned to enjoy the convenience of ordering online and having things delivered. You know, what I, I always say, you know, what's the mo- my mom test, right? So my mom, when I told her she could order online groceries before the pandemic, she thought I was insane. She's like, why would I do that? You know, I go to the grocery <laughs> store and now she's ordering online twice a week, thinks it's the greatest thing since sliced bread. So I think... Um, you know that that experience has really changed a lot of people um, in in how they how they go. But I think that the in person experience people still miss. You know, trying on clothes is still really difficult. There are problems that were not solved by shifting to online. So trying on clothes, buying jewelry, buying art, those things
1: are are not the same as doing it in person. Yeah, spraying the perfume before you smell it. <laughs> yeah. Post COVID, how do you see the landscape changing for fraud in retail? Um, I really don't see um,
2: fraud changing because of the pandemic, um, but every time there's an economic downturn, fraud always goes up. Um, the line that people are willing to cross changes. And so more people are willing to do things that are illegal um, when they're harder up for money. And so, uh, If we're entering an economic downturn, which many people say we are, I do expect fraud to increase. We've seen fraud attempts increase, but the success of those fraud attempts has really yet to increase. So um, keeping a close eye on that, but I do expect fraud to climb, but it's really tied to the economy.
0: Got it. Well, in terms of retail, we know that online retail has a lot of systems worked out. In-person retail is in this process of moving from a high-touch environment into lower touches with biometrics, with um, uh, card-only transactions where somebody doesn't have to take cash from you. I'm curious if you see the landscape accelerating for changes in in in-person retail.
2: Absolutely. And in fact, you know, a lot of stores now have the app where you can scan as you're you're shopping and then you can just walk out the door. I think, you know, that's here to stay and consumers like that. Um, I noticed even just this past week as I was uh, I went to the mall for the first time and I noticed several of the uh, retailers now say no cash, um, you know, credit cards only. And uh, the touchless where you can just wave your card with RFID um, is now pretty much everywhere, and so um, I think the shift in what consumers are willing to do—it's historically it has always been very, very difficult to change a consumer's shopping or buying behavior, and the pandemic accelerated everything by at least five years. Um, so everybody's buying behaviors have changed in how they pay, and how
1: they check out, and what they're expecting. It's very interesting. Yeah. So it's already changing, but can you tell us more? Um, I'm curious about where you see retail going. What's the future of retail? Um,
2: So when you think about the future, everybody's been talking about the Omnichannel for, you know, the last 10 years. Um, But I do think that we are now starting to see consumers just expecting it and being disappointed rather than being delighted when wow, I can buy something online and return it in person. I think now, because so many things have changed and so many retailers have adopted some of these processes, when when you're going to do the omni channel experience and you don't get it, I think you're disappointed. And so I think when I think about the future, I think we will see more of that, you know, scan and go. So I don't have to stand in checkout lines, buying online, returning in person, or going to a store and selecting what you want. Um, I know at Office Depot when I was there the other day, um, I looked at what I wanted, but then they had me order from the kiosk and have it delivered to my house. So I think the merging, um, when I think about the future, the merging of the channels um, is certainly a part of our future.
0: Right, and so one of the technologies that's been used in the internet of things is creating a digital twin. Um, And I'm curious if kind of on the channel will go there where I can be in a store and visit the digital twin of that store at the same time or if you see that kind of convergence happening.
2: I don't know if people can, the general population, you know, like the past, will that pass the mom test? Is that too complicated? Right. Um, or or will that be something that people expect, you know? And you also have to look at the demographics. So right now, the majority of people who spend money are the older population. As the millennials move up and start to have more money and the spending power, then perhaps we will start to see those things. But the people who spend most of the money today I think that technology might be just a little bit too cool.
0: Yeah. So, so augmented reality and the future of retail as having everything augmented, where I can see the details about something, you don't see that happening immediately.
2: No, no. You know, and I've tried even some of the cool new whiz bang three D, you know, yeah. virtual reality, and it's just not the same. It's it's just it's better, but the lag the you know, the bandwidth, it's, it's just not ready for prime time. It's not flawless yet for everybody, right. for, for mass, mass adoption.
0: Right, right. It needs to be bomb-proof. I need to be able to take my glasses off, put my glasses on, and not have a lag or a skip, but just be able to see the information I need at, at a glance, literally. Um, that, that would be wonderful. We aren't quite there yet with retail. Right, right. Yeah. And the consumer
2: experience is everything, right? That increases your acceptance and your conversion. Right,
0: absolutely.
1: So, the MRC is expanding in Asia Pacific and elsewhere around the world. Can you tell us more about the expansion and what that means for your merchants? So, our merchants have been pushing us to expand be-
2: beyond North America and Europe for quite a while. And um, we actually were able to get two very talented leaders, um, working um, a, a half a day a week for the MRC, there are our, our, our region lead- leaders over there, and uh, establish an MRC. We ha- most of our merchants are global merchants. And so they have people over there who, have, who face very different payment types, fraud attacks, Um, The trends are different. The seasons are different. And so there's really been this strong need. So we actually launched um, MRC APAC back in November um, and we're growing very quickly. We already have um, over 50 subscribers um, participating. We held our first in-person event. Um, because their rules are a little bit different than over here. Um, and uh, in Singapore, it was very successful. We're having another one in June and then another one in um, November. Um, so June will be in Melbourne and then um, November will be back in Singapore. So we, there's just a great need because there's nothing like this over there where people can get together and collaborate and share information. And so um, that's going really, really well. Our members are also asking us to take a look at Latin America, Um, That's another area where there's lots and lots of different kinds of fraud and payment technologies and trends that are happening. And so um, especially Brazil, Brazil always seems to bubble to the top. And so that is the next area we're going to be taking a look at to see, is that a place that we can go um, reasonably quickly?
0: Right. But I know that in Latin America, there are also some great technical leaders. I know the the co-founder of Auth0 is from Argentina, for example. And I know Argentina has some uh, really great security leaders. So um, that technology space may be open to helping the Merchant Risk Council prevent fraud as well.
2: Well, we're always looking for partners. Um, you know, just like we expanded into APAC, we found two really great companies um, to help us expand over there. We'll be looking for partners in Latin America as well.
0: Great, great. How about China and um, uh, Asia Pacific? More North,
2: yeah. So, so we're also um, uh, dipping our toe in the water. So that's probably not 2021, but 2022 for sure. We already have some uh, members uh, in China and India, and so we will definitely be looking to move um, into those
1: countries and regions as well.
0: Fantastic!
1: Great. Well, I have one last question. Um, what's your personal mission? What do you want to be remembered for? Collaboration.
2: Right, So I want want people to think about the MRC as a community. Um, It has always been a community. Many people refer to our events as family reunions, um, but collaboration and sharing.
0: Fantastic. Well, thank you for your time today, Julie. I know I've really enjoyed the Merchant Risk events that I've been at. They've been really beneficial for me as somebody who cares about retail and making e-commerce safer. So thank, thank you for all you're doing and for all your members, for all they're doing to make uh, fraud less and to make the retail experience better. Thank you guys for having me. It was fun. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you, Karen. Thank you. Thanks for listening today to the Spark Plug podcast, hosted by me, Ned Hayes, and brought to you by Snowshoe, snow.sh, for smarter mobile locations spark plug is a wholly owned property of snowshoe all content copyright 2021 spark plug media